Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A goat herder has three daughters. Three daughters he simply does not deserve. Cruel, obnoxious, and feeble-minded this man is to beat and harass his daughters whenever a goat should stray from its herd. He cares for the goats more than he does his flesh and blood and would sooner sacrifice his daughters over the herd that he leads. One day, though, two daughters encounter a very unique being, one that offers them a way out, an offer that they refuse. The third and youngest of the three, though, well, her life takes quite a different path. Join me again today, folks, for your Tibetan tale. We have magic, witchery, and deals of the weird. The White Bird's Wife, a tale most odd and memorable. Join me, my fellow story seekers, for today's tale. Also, a big shout out to my US listeners, Arnassus Pass, and from Australia, in Portland. You know who you are, mates, and thanks for the love. Now turn off the lights and let's listen to a Tibetan tale shed all the way back from 1922. Enjoy. Tale 1. The White Bird's Wife Many, many years ago, when the world was young, there lived in a country very fair and full of flowers an old man who had three daughters. They were simple, humble folk, and owned little save a herd of goats, and these were dearer to the old man than anything else in the world, dearer even than his three fine daughters. Every day one of the girls went forth with the flock and tended them upon the hillside, and woe be to her if, when she returned at night, one of the little beasts were hurt or missing. The father stood by the gate of the yard and counted them all as they ran in at evening, and often he felt of each and caressed it, murmuring terms of endearment which might better have been spent on his daughters, to whom he never showed any affection at all. One day, when it was the turn of the eldest to tend the flock, she returned at night very late, and with eyes red and swollen with weeping. The cause of her grief soon appeared. One of the goats was missing, and the angry father lost no time in venting his wrath in shrill words of abuse and cruel blows. The poor girl crept away to bed, crying and complaining, but to all her sister's questions she answered no word save to bid them crossly to be quiet. Yet there was something in her manner which led the other two to believe that she had met with some strange adventure, and they talked long together, wondering and guessing as to what it might have been. The next morning the second daughter set forth to watch the goats, and returned late at night as the first had done, weary and crying bitterly, for another goat had been lost. And if the father had been angry and cruel before, he was twice as much so now. He beat the poor girl's shoulders with his heavy stick and cursed her till she fled in terror to her bed and lay there, trembling and weeping in the dark. But when the youngest daughter asked her gently what had happened, and how she had lost the goat. She was bidden to hold her peace and could learn nothing, 
She noticed, however, that her two sisters now exchanged looks of understanding, and whispered much together, stopping at once when she came by. She was filled with curiosity, and could scarcely sleep that night for eagerness to try her luck with the flock next day, and see if any strange adventure would befall her. Early in the morning, Ananda, for that was the youngest daughter's name, set forth with the goats to the hillside, resolved to be very alert and avoid all the troubles her sisters had fallen into. The weather was unusually warm and sultry, and about noon a great scent of heaviness and sleep came upon her, so that in spite of all her efforts, her eyes would no longer stay open. She lay down under a tree, thinking she would let herself sleep for just a few moments. But when she awoke, she found her dismay that the moments had lengthened into hours. The sun was nigh setting, and while she had slept, one of the goats had gone astray. Alas! My father will kill me if another goat is lost. I must find it, though I... Though I hunt all night. She began looking hurriedly everywhere, in all the pastures where the flock were wont to stray, on the neighboring hillsides and in the valleys, calling the goat by name and watching in the soft ground for the mark of his hooves. At last, a long distance from where the others had grazed, she found the impression of the hoofs of a single goat leading away along the muddy banks of a stream. These she followed eagerly, hoping with every step to see her missing charge in the distance. The marks led steadily on, and she followed farther and farther, until at length she found herself in a strange country full of great rocks and dark-mouthed caves. The hoof marks left the bank of the stream at this point, led directly to a cave in the side of a hill, and there stopped short. The mouth of the cave was closed, by a big red door, and Ananda, pushing against it, found that it opened easily, leading into a passageway dim and damp. At the end of this passage was another door, which shone in the dark, making the way almost bright before it. This, she found, was of solid gold, and wondering much, she tried it and found that it too opened readily. Beyond was another passage, shorter than the first, and lighted by the radiance of the gold door behind her. Ananda hastened to the end of it, where she found, to her astonishment, two doors, side by side, one of mother of pearl and the other of emerald. By this time, she had quite forgotten the goat, so filled was she with wonder and curiosity. She lost no time in pushing against the mother of pearl door, but though she threw all her weight upon it, she could not make it yield an inch. So turning with a sigh, she tried the emerald door, which opened at once. Stepping across the threshold, she found herself in a large vaulted room, brilliantly lighted by lamps which swung from the ceiling. On every side were signs of luxury and wealth, soft divans, curious rich furnishings, and on the floor in careless piles, gold coins and precious stones, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and many others, beyond all power to count. 
Ananda rubbed her eyes, thinking she might still be sleeping. There appeared to be no living being in the room, so she began peering around in this corner and that, wondering more and more as she came upon one rich object after another. Suddenly, she was startled by a voice quite close behind her. Good day, fair damsel, it said. May I ask what it is you are looking for? Ananda wheeled around in terror, but there was no person visible behind her. Only she noticed a richly carved table in the corner with a gold cage upon it, and in that cage a beautiful snow-white bird. Who, who could have been speaking? She said to herself, still looking in every direction, and as if an answer to her thought, the white bird moved on his golden perch and spoke again. Damsel, I bid you good day, and welcome to my dwelling. But pray tell me what it is you are seeking. Ananda stared in astonishment. So it was you who spoke. In truth, I hadn't noticed you before. And then, bethinking her of the question twice asked and not yet answered, she continued. I have come to seek my father's goat, which is lost. I followed his hoof marks to the door of his cave and had hoped to find him within. I can restore your goats to you. That which you lost today, and those which your sisters lost before you. Oh, you are most kind. Give them to me, I beg, and I will hasten home and trouble you no longer. Not so fast, not so fast, replied the bird. Wait and hear my conditions. Your sisters refused them with scorn and preferred to endure all the ill treatment and abuse at home rather than to consider for a moment what I proposed. They must be hard conditions indeed. To make me refuse them and go home goatless to my angry father, tell me, good bird, what are they? This is the bargain I propose. If you will marry me and live in luxury here, in my palace cave, I will send all the goats straight away back to your father. Moreover, you shall have all that your heart can desire, if so far as wealth can give it. Come now, I will let you have fifteen minutes in which to consider. Sit down upon that divan yonder, and when your mind is made up, speak and I will listen. Then the white bird begins busily picking grains of food from the cup in his cage, as if he had nothing further to say on the subject. Slowly, Ananda walked over to the divan and sat down. If I go home without the goat, my father will not kill me in his anger. And yet, to marry a white bird? Truly, that would be a very sorry adventure. But, looking around the brightly lit room, life at home is poor and dull, and here would be much to amuse and interest me, and even a white bird might prove a good companion, if I had no other. She arose and walked back to the cage with a decided step. I will marry you, she said to the white bird. Good, said he, and rising on his perch, fluttered his wings. Immediately there appeared before Ananda a table spread with a fine cloth and having upon it the best supper her eyes had ever looked upon. Sit down and eat, for you must be hungry. The goats are even now on their way homeward and will find your father's pen unguided with the rest of the flock tonight. So Ananda married the white bird and lived in the palace cave. 
and for a long time her days were full of wonder and delight. There seemed no end to the treasures around her, and she had but to form a wish in her mind to have it straight away granted. But after a while she began to grow lonely. Every morning the white bird disappeared, whither she never knew, and all day long she must remain by herself in the great vaulted room. In the evening the white bird would return, but after all he was poor company compared with her two sisters, and she began to regret what she had done and longed to be at home again. The white bird brought her news of the outside world, and tried to cheer her by talk and gossip, and one time he told her of a fair which was to be held next day in a nearby village. Ananda sighed deeply as he told of it. How I should love to go to that fair. It is so long since I have seen any of my kind. My dear, I think it is unwise for you to go. My heart tells me that ill will come of it. Nevertheless, if you greatly desire it, if nothing else will make you happy, you shall have your wish. Go to the fair and stay all day. Indeed, if you go at all, you must promise me faithfully not to return until six o'clock in the evening. Ananda was delighted, readily gave the desired promise and bustled eagerly about preparing for the morrow. The next day, she started forth bright and early and in good time reached the fairgrounds. Such a merry time she had from the very start. She made friends with everybody around her and having plenty of money to spend on herself and others, she soon found herself extremely popular. She saw all there was to be seen and did all there was to be done, and the morning was gone before she knew it. Early in the afternoon there rode into the fairgrounds a stranger on a snow-white horse. Very tall and strong he was, and good to look upon, and he was dressed in silk and cloth of gold like a prince. Everybody began at once to ask everybody else, who he was and whence he came, and it soon appeared that nobody at the fair had ever seen or heard of him before. All talked and marvelled at his handsome face, fine carriage and princely clothes, and wherever he went a little crowd followed after him, watching curiously everything he did. Ananda saw him too, and when she looked into his face all the happiness suddenly died within her, and she wished mightily that she had never come to the fair at all, for she knew that she loved him with all her heart. She wandered away from her gay young companions and stood watching the stranger from a distance, and feeling very sorrowful. What ails you, my girl? A thin, crackled voice suddenly said in her ear, and looking around she saw a little old woman, very bent and aged, with a shrewd, wrinkled face. What ails you? She repeated tapping the ground with her staff, and because Ananda did not seem to be able to do otherwise, she told her frankly the whole thing. Alas, good mother, I have fallen in love with yonder princely stranger. And why should that make you unhappy? Why should you not hope to marry him as well as any other? You are a pretty wench, to be sure. Oh, I am already married to the white bird. That is as it should be, my dear. That is as it should be. <laughs> and the old woman broke into a crackling laugh. How can that be? cried Ananda crossly, for she was quite bewildered. Because, my dear, yonder princely stranger is the white bird himself in his right and proper form. Ananda could only gasp with amazement, and the crone continued.
He is bewitched. That is all. And then she moved off as if she had done with the subject. But Ananda ran after her and, catching her by the sleeve, made her stop. Tell me, tell me, can I not break the spell? Is there no way in which I can keep him in his right form? Let me go, snapped the old woman. Yes, of course there is a way. Go home at once before he can reach there, and you will find his gold cage and perch and bird feathers in a corner of the vaulted room. Take these and burn them. Then when he comes back, he will keep his man form forever. Scarcely waiting to murmur her thanks, Ananda started for home, running all the way and arriving at the red door of the cave quite out of breath and exhausted. She soon found the gold cage and perch and the white bird feathers in a corner of the vaulted room. As the old woman had said, and these, she quickly took outside and burned, until nothing remained but a light little pile of ashes. Then she sat down happily beside the red door to await the return of the white bird prince. Before long she caught sight of him riding towards her, and she jumped up and ran to meet him. But he, when he saw her, stopped short and looked down upon her very sorrowfully. Ananda, you have broken your word. You have come home before me. Nothing but ill can come of it. They moved on slowly until they came to the little pile of ashes which was all that was left of the golden cage and perch. And the white feathers. The white bird prince got down from his horse and stood looking at it for a long time in silence. Then he turned to Ananda and said, You have burnt my bird form, my perch and my cage, have you not? Yes, but I did it that you might keep your man form forever, my dear husband. In burning my feathers, you have burnt my soul, and now I shall be taken from you, and we can never see each other again. No, no, don't say that. If through my fault you have lost your soul, surely I can win it back for you. I cannot, cannot lose you now that I have got you in your own true form. The white bird prince looked upon her kindly, but there was little hope in his face as he spoke. Because you have burned my soul, tonight there will come a throng of good and evil spirits who will fight for me. And at the end of seven days and seven nights, the victorious ones will carry me away. And then I shall never be able to see my dear wife again. Nevertheless, there is one way in which you can save me. Though I fear it is far too hard a task for any woman. If for seven days and seven nights, while the good and evil spirits are fighting for me, you can beat with a star upon the mother of Pearl Door outside our palace, without rest or pause for a single moment, then... At the end of that time, you will be able to break through the door and win back my soul for me. If you can do that, the good and evil spirits will be forced to flee and you and I may dwell in peace together. Surely, that is not such a hard task and for the love of you, I can easily perform it. Give me a stout staff that I may be ready. That evening, when the sun had set, there came a great company of good and evil spirits, as the prince had foretold, and they strove together outside the cave. And the din of their fighting was terrible to hear, but Ananda heeded them not. 
with a mighty staff she beat upon the mother of pearl door all that night and the next day and the next never pausing a moment though she grew so weary she could scarcely stand or see for seven days and seven nights she hammered on that door and in the very last hour it began to give way beneath her blows but in that hour her strength failed and she dropped exhausted and senseless to the ground and slept unknowingly while the spirits carried away her beloved husband. When she came to herself again and found that he was gone, her grief knew no bounds. But weeping will do no good, she said to herself at last. I will rise up and search for my prince, though I have to go to the ends of the world to find him. So drying her eyes, she took a stout staff in her hand and set forth at once, though she still ate with weariness and knew not which way to turn first. It would be long to tell of her journey and of the adventures she met with by the way. Far and wide she travelled over the face of the earth, neither pausing nor resting, but ever seeking the white bird prince. At last one day, when she was walking through a deep and lovely valley, to her unbound joy she heard the prince's voice calling her from the top of a mountain. Quickly and happily she climbed to the top, though the way was rough and hard beyond anything she had yet experienced. But when she had reached the summit, her husband was nowhere to be seen. And she was about to give up in despair when she heard his voice again from the depths of the valley. So she hurried breathlessly down again, and there, seated beside a stream and waiting for her, was the white bird prince himself. With a cry of joy, she ran toward him, and they kissed and caressed, and were happy beyond measure. But their joy was short. My dear wife, said the prince, most grateful am I for this meeting, but now we must part again. The evil spirits have me in their power and have made me their water bearer. And all day long I travel from the depth of the valley to the top of the mountain and back again, carrying water for them in a huge jug. And now I must return again to my labor. Let me stay with you. Have I not gone to the end of the earth to find you? That may not be. Nevertheless, since your love for me is so great, perhaps you can even yet win back my soul for me. Oh, how? Oh, tell me how. Nothing can be too hard for my love. Go back then. Go back to our palace cave, and there build for me another golden cage and perch like those you burned. When they are finished, sit down before the cage and sing and put into your song all your love for me. If your love is strong enough, it will woo my soul back into the form of a bird, and I shall return and take my soul again. The magic spell under which I used to live will be broken, and you and I can dwell together in our true forms, happily and lovingly, for the rest of our lives. At this point in the story, the Siddhikur stopped short and said no more. Well... Did she do it? Did Ananda sing the song and woo back the soul of the white-bird prince? Asked the Khan's son, forgetting in his interest all about Nagaguna and his command to keep silent. Of course she did. And her song was so full of love and beauty that its like has never been heard, even to this very day. But see now, you have broken silence, my son. And so I am free once more to go back to my mango tree in the cool grove beside the garden of ghost children, 
farewell, and be you wiser in the future. And with that, the Siddhartha jumped lightly from the sack on the prince's back and in a flash had vanished into the distance. It profited nothing for the prince to rage at himself and his folly. There was nothing left to do but to go back all the way he had come and fetch the Siddhartha again, for never would he dare to face Magaguna with his task unaccomplished. So taking a bite from his magic cake, which grew not less, he turned about and set forth once more to the northward, over the same rough road he had travelled, meeting the same adventures and passing them safely by, until at last he came again to the beautiful garden of ghost children and found the Siddhartha sitting in his mango tree and smiling down upon him. Now, after he had captured the Siddhartha as before and set him on his back, and after they had gone far on the homeward way in silence, the creature of magic spoke again, saying, Truly, O Khan's son, this is a long and wearisome journey. Tell me, I beg you, some tale of marvel, that the way may seem shorter and pleasanter to both of us. But as his suggestion received no reply, he continued, Since you are minded to keep silence at any cost, at last you can have no objection to my telling you a story. I have a goodly one in my mind even now, and if you say nothing to prevent me, I shall begin at once. After waiting for a moment in silence, the Siddhartha began his second tale. And that tale is... The Promise of Masang. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Folks, that Siddhartha is so tricky. Fooling the Khan's son at the end there? <laughs> Luckily, he has an infinite food supply at his disposal, and the will to go on. <laughs> Also, that old crone at the fair talk about totally ruining that girl's life. You have to wonder if that was the very witch that cursed him. What do you think? Now folks, I want to share my thank yous to my Patreon supporters in short verse today. Firstly, my O-Night Tea Titan, Magnanimous Maya, Stones of White. Stones of white of pearlescent colours that shimmer at night. No blemish or stain lay on its surface, no crack or fracture or torpid nature does reflect of its white stature. Reflect it does the purest of white, those stones at night, those stones of white. My white tea warlord Lezasaurus Rex, Obsidian Star. Hurtling through the sky at blazing speed, these rocks from within the crust flying free. Of black dust does it fly, jettisoned sky high. Farther and farther does it soar, the more you look, the bigger its draw. Remember its launch site and stand far, lest you be hit by the obsidian star. And my white tea warlord, Paige Kramer, coalescent rocks. Clink, good the stones between my fingers. Clink, good the essence of Earth's nature. Clink, good the ripples of invisible space. Clink, Good the changes across our land's face. Clink are the sounds that remind us of change. Clink is the resonance that reminds us of essence. And clink goes the waves that shape Earth's coalescence. Now, for my amazing, brilliant Earl Grey Enforcers. I'm lucky to have Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, divided by zero. 
Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, and Solstra. And my remaining supporters, Catherine Mason and Sunshine Days. You can be legends like this lot and can support me via Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. I've been asked how to spell Patreon. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can support me with as much as a cup of tea a month, where all donations go into production and paying artists to do their thing. Also, it gives me dollary dues to donate back into OTR archives, as well as support websites to keep alive those radio tapes. Now, write your story, share your tale, make it creepy to make me pale. But remember that little tremor that crawls up your spine, or the tingle that makes you smile from a plotline that's just fine. That's the magic of storytelling. It really is divine. You took your time to listen, and you think that it was your treat. But I thank you, my friends, for the listen. And as always, till next we meet.